Well, it's around 61 years since uh, the birth of Christ. And the number one preacher of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is under house arrest in Rome. And his, uh, we know that his Hebrew name is, is Saul, his Greek name is Paul. And there's something we talked about, I think, earlier. This is like the third message in, in uh, Philippians. We gave some background material and then started into verse 1 and 2 and so on. And we know that Paul had already, always had a desire to go to Rome. How many of you have a special place that you would, before, you, before Jesus comes, uh, before, or before you die, you get a chance to go to a certain place? Huh? How, many, how many of you have a special place like that? Well, Paul wanted to go to Rome. And he finally gets to visit Rome, but it wasn't as a tourist or to check things out uh, as we might in our special place, but it was because he was in legal difficulties. He had legal troubles going on in his world. Nearly every place you see that the Apostle Paul preached the good news of Jesus Christ dying for sinners and offering them forgiveness for their sins through a personal relationship with him, it angered people. Every place the Apostle Paul spoke about Jesus and the gospel, it angered some people, as it does today. Have you noticed that? Nothing has changed. It still angers people around the world when we talk about Jesus Christ to some people. Well, because he was born a Roman citizen, he was a Jew, but he was born a Roman citizen, he was able to appeal to the courts in Rome, the seat of justice, so to speak, and hopefully get to clear his name from these charges that had thrown him into prison. And he'd been in prison uh, multiple months and years as a result of, of charges that were made against him. And so while he's in Rome, and he's waiting to have his case come to trial, so to speak, he writes this beautiful letter we call Philippians. He's in prison, he's in house arrest, and he writes this beautiful letter. Now, some have made a distinction between letters and epistles. Uh, not that it makes that much difference, but some have said that a, a letter is kind of a personal to, a, to an individual or to a particular church or something that is expressing something personal and was never really ever intended to be read by uh, generations to follow. It wasn't the intent of it. But then an epistle is kind of like a, a, a truth manuscript that is given, and, and it may be studied for years and years and years and generations or whatever, but at any rate, this one is a, is a letter. This one is not an epistle. This, this is a letter. And while he's waiting for his case to come up, he writes this very personal very encouraging, loving sort of private personal letter to this church uh, at Philippi. So let's check out on the map once again uh, where we are. For some of you, this is your first time to be with us. And, and those of you who've seen the map before, just get used to it. We've got people, listen, we have people that are, that are joining us and it's their first time. And so I'm trying to be considerate of people that have not got the background we've already talked about. So I sometimes hit it with a little lick and a promise, so to speak, just to give them a little taste of what most of us have already heard. Just be patient. We'll get to some really precious things in just a moment. But here's the map. You see up there at the top, right at the top of where the red, the red line kind of loops up, that's Philippi up there. I don't know if we've got our laser man here today, but he knows where that is and maybe he'll spot that for us. And so uh, let's take a look at Philippians chapter 1, and we're just going to read, again, the first two verses this morning, because uh, I was planning to do, go further, 
But the Lord dropped something in my spirit in my studies this morning that I just, I, my prayer is that I can speak it and, and it, will, it will resonate in your spirit in the way it resonated in my spirit. And, and it encouraged my heart and it expanded my mind about some of these truths that we see when we press in and dig in uh, to these, these verses a, a little deeper. So before I read it, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word of truth and thank you for allowing us to be able to open it today in freedom. And we recognize that there are people who don't have the first copy yet in places around the world. And we know that there are people who may have a copy, but if they showed it or if they read it out loud, they'd be thrown in prison. We know that there are some that are in prison as a result of their love for you and trying to follow this word of truth. And so today... We ask God that you would uh, help us to respect your word. Help the, help the youngest person uh, who is old enough to know the difference between right and wrong. Uh, our, our, if there's an elementary person in here by chance and not with the children, or if there are, and there are teenagers here, all the way to the most senior saint, that we would show a reverence and a respect for your word. We would show you that we appreciate having access to it. We appreciate it so much that we're going to fight off the things that will come into our minds and cause us to daydream and to get off track and to not pay attention or to worry about this, that, or the other thing, or, or, or to, to not be able to dial in truth and, and we miss the point because we weren't focused. And God, help us to so respect and love your word that we sit disciplined and happy disciplined not angry or frustrated, but happy disciplined to listen and study and open our hearts to your word of truth this morning. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul and Timothy, bondservants. Would you say that with me? Bondservants. One, two, three. Bondservants of Christ Jesus. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's it. And you're thinking, where's he going with this? How much more can we pull out of this that we haven't already talked a little bit about? And I did talk about bond servants at some length the last time we were together. I've already given some background on this passage in the first two messages. So, so let's press in just a little bit on these two verses on some things that I, I don't want us to miss. And maybe you will not have seen it as some of these I, I hadn't seen yet as, as I began to study. First of all, first of all, Paul probably never thought this letter was going to be read and studied like we're studying it today. And how Christians and scholars and others, theologians, have studied and studied and studied it for many generations after his death. But it's a loving, personal letter to a church that he started in Europe. It was the first church in Europe. And Paul founded it. He started it there in Philippi. And he had a tremendous love and tenderness toward that church. Uh, because that church, over a period of time, an extended period of time, continued to bless his life. That church at Philippi continued to send and make blessings of prayer and gifts and all kinds of expressions uh, to encourage this servant of God as he went around the known world preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, 
So it's a very loving and tender word. So let me give you point number one for this morning for us to think about. As I thought about this, point number one, if you're taking some notes, and you've got a place hopefully in your bulletin to take, take notes, or maybe the side note, Bible, whatever, point number one would be this. A church will never be sorry for overloving their spiritual leaders, even if that's possible. A church will never be sorry. You will never be ashamed as a church of Jesus Christ for overloving the people who lead and serve you. And it doesn't just have to be pastoral staff. It could be your Sunday school teacher, your small group leader. Those who labor among us and, and whose desire is to encourage spiritually and to teach and to disciple and to correct and to rebuke at times, which is never fun for anybody. But when that is going on, you will never be sorry for overloving your spiritual leader. You say, well, well, don't, I mean, are you saying this church doesn't do, no, this isn't about this church. In fact, most of this message isn't about this particular church called Lakeview. But this message goes out over the internet. It goes out to wherever you send it. It goes out to whoever you talk about the sermon, uh, to the people you work around, your neighbors, or whoever you might be sharing a truth with, that churches should be about the business of loving their spiritual leaders like the church at Philippi loved Paul and Timothy. Sometimes there is just a favored bond that happens when people love and support those who've devoted their lives to spreading the gospel and showing a willingness to take it wherever God opens the doors for them. Some people, God has to stay in one place for a long time. Case in point, our friend Wayne and friends Wayne and Jan Schmidt. 30 plus years at a church called Kentwood Community Church in Michigan. And then there are other, others that God has, has moved from place to place, from time to time, as He, as he desires it, as he, as he wills it, as He matches up certain uh, giftings and talents and strengths and whatever for churches that He loves, that He wants to be cared for by spiritual leaders. And sometimes there are favored bonds that happen when people love and support the people that have come to serve. Paul shows us that some churches, some churches do this better than others. Some churches are better at loving and showing tenderness and kindness and appreciation for the spiritual leaders they have, from Sunday school teachers on up to the pastors and whoever else. Some churches do a better job than other churches, apparently. And I, I just want to say this, if you're new to the church, if you're new to faith or whatever, you will never be ashamed of the warmth you show to your missionary partners, which we just recently did in the last two weeks. You and I at Lakeview in particular will never be ashamed to have our missionary partners come back in, give us a report and say something like this, thank you for your continued long-term support of our ministry for sometimes 10, 15, 20 years and more for loving your spiritual leaders who have labored either among you or are laboring on your behalf in strange and sometimes very difficult places. You'll never be ashamed 
of the warmth you show to your missionary partners and to the staff and ministry leaders that you have had down through the years. That's why these expressions of kindness uh, that the board has made possible for many of you to just put a card or some little token or something in there, it is a good thing for you to do that, not because your leaders deserve it. It's a good thing to do because it models an attitude of appreciation for what God has done in giving you people to love you, lead you, guide you, protect you, labor with you, help to carry the load with you. It is a good thing. This is such an important truth that Paul recorded. Well, think about this. If you think this isn't important, then you need to read the rest of the New Testament. Because Paul recorded for all time's sake, for all of history, down to, until Jesus comes, he named Demas and he named Alexander the coppersmith. Go home and do your homework and your research this week and study up on those guys and you'll find out that they wish they had never been named the way Paul named them because they opposed him in the ministry and they made Paul's work and the other apostles work harder because of how they treated these spiritual leaders. And God marked them down in history for all time. Say, so don't do that. Be the opposite of that. Make their job easier. Make their job encouraged. Make them feel affirmed, even if they are not, uh, they don't have 10 talents. They may only be three talent leaders or five talent leaders or whatever. But do what you can to encourage them because it pleases the Father when we do that. May the Lord help us as a church to be seen by Him one day as a church like the Philippian church who loved and supported their leaders. Can I get an amen on that? Is that a good truth? You know, that, that is, and so for some of us who are new to the faith, some of you may not live here forever. Some of you may be dispatched through work and, and different reasons to, to go to different parts of, the, of the, the nation or maybe in the world. And you'll be a part of another church someday. And, and some, some leader taught you on this day in October, this last Sunday, 2017, that it's a good thing to be gracious, kind, warm, tender, and supportive of your spiritual leaders. And that's a good thing. Now, keep in mind that Paul is the author and Timothy is the sidekick companion. This letter was not written by Paul and Timothy. It, it was written by Paul. Timothy is the sidekick. He's the, he's the guy that goes alongside to encourage Paul and to have his back. And, and to bring him greetings from other people and to go on assignments and sometimes to teach certain things in the body of Christ. And Timothy is a great guy, great sidekick. You see, there are many capable leaders who are leaders in their own right whom God chooses to unite with a senior leader. Sometimes that happens, especially in churches that are large enough that they need multiple staff. And oftentimes the multiple staff who God brings alongside a senior leader like Paul are quite capable in and of themselves to be leading a church themselves. I can give you a perfect example of that, a modern day example. One of the strongest churches in this country, in fact two years ago, I believe it was, was the fastest growing church in America. It was one of our churches, a Wesleyan church. It's called Twelve Stone. You hear us mention it. It's in Atlanta, Georgia area. 
and they have thousands and thousands and thousands and multiple campuses, and they have, they have I can't even tell you how many their staff are to do all of these things. But I can tell you that there's a gentleman named Dan Ryland. Some of you know that name. He writes prolifically. He blogs. He tweets. He, he, he's written books. He is Kevin Myers, the senior pastor, leader. He is his right-hand Timothy. Dan Ryland has the ability, in my opinion, to pastor any church in America. He's incredibly gifted. But God has called him to come alongside Kevin. And together, it's sort of like a husband and wife. It's sort of like together we can take on things in this life that we might have been frightened to do by ourselves. But together, or with a friend, we can make a difference. The church should not be... Listen. The church should never be jealous of those connections. When God makes connections with with leadership in the life of the church, the church members, those who are growing in Christ and and being discipled, should never become jealous of those kinds of relationships. Why would I even say that? Because it's our nature to be jealous. That is our nature. It is our nature to say, oh, I think he he shook their hand, but I don't think he shook my hand. It's It's just our nature. And God doesn't want us to think or to live that way in the life of the church. So never become jealous of those connections. Any more more than we should question Jesus when he was working with his disciples and training them and teaching them. And the scriptures are very clear if you read the New Testament. Jesus really liked John. He did. It didn't mean his love was more. and that he mattered more, he just really liked him. There was a connection between Jesus and John. And so what what Jesus, what the Holy Spirit would say to to the the disciples back then was, hey guys, don't get jealous of that and get off tangent. Don't get off, off the track. If it was a bad thing, Jesus wouldn't have done it. Amen? If it was a bad model, Jesus would not have done it. He's the greatest leader that's ever been on the face of this earth. And so it's not a bad thing, just don't let yourself go there. It's a temptation to do it sometimes. And let me just say this, God oftentimes sends a special friend, like a John, to come alongside a leader in a given ministry assignment in order to pray for them or to simply give them as Timothy did for Paul some, some uh, camaraderie, some companionship that, that, that sometimes helps to offset what some don't understand happens in ministry. And that is that there are times, not that it can't happen to anybody else, but it often happens to ministers and, and teaching staff and ministering staff and, 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 and small group leaders and Sunday school teachers, it, it often happens because the enemy hates what we do. Hates it. Hates everything I was planning to say to you today. He hates everything that I studied this past week that I want to bring to you. He hates the fact that I want to do that with all of my heart. And he, he'll do anything he can to distract me from bringing that across. And guess what? That feels lonely. 
sometimes. And sometimes leaders like Paul and Timothy and others, they lay awake at night. We lay awake at night uh, saying, God, uh, remember last week when I called for people to come to the altar to pray whatever, and only about 15 came. Shouldn't the whole church practically have come to the altar? I think about I lay awake at night and I think, am I, am I not doing something right, God? Am I, have I not helped the folks to understand the importance of prayer? I, when I prayed with three, three women this morning before this morning service, I lay awake at night and say, where are the men that will pray with me before I go before? I'm doing battle for Jesus this morning, opening his word of truth. I'm not asking anybody to feel sorry for me. But I will tell you that sometimes it's lonely. And sometimes when you give truth, just like I'm giving it here, so I'm going to walk out and I want to think, is anybody even going to speak to me after this because you think I was getting after you? you, All kinds of crazy things the devil will put in your spirit so that you don't speak truth and you don't teach and you don't give the full counsel of what God wants us to have. You say, well, you can't build a big church if you do that. Well, I don't believe that. And besides that, a big church... I'm not sure what God thinks about. I think it's what's inside that counts. That's what I think. And if he wants it to be big, he'll make it big. And if he doesn't, then it'll be important, small or medium or whatever else. That's what I think. I think what matters is what the Holy Spirit wants to do in a place. But I will tell you that the road is sometimes lonely. And the road sometimes leaves you awake at night. And because you you ponder how... Am I not bringing things across right? Am I not giving the whole counsel? Uh, Have I not prayed enough, God? Are there not enough people praying for me so that they feel that the fire and the truth of God is coming through this vessel or the vessels that we have on our team? I think about those things, and they do. And, And sometimes God will just bring a friend or a couple of people around you in a strange way, and they have an affinity for you. And as I look around, as I watch my staff, I can see there are certain people that kind of gravitate to some of my staff. And some of you have probably figured out there are a few people that every once in a while, I know it's hard to believe that anybody would gravitate to me, but there are every once in a while some people who gravitate. And what if, what if those were God-sent people to just help your team deal with the lonely path that sometimes they are on? And it's just a gift from God. And, and, and Paul says in this letter to the Philippians, says, don't get jealous of that. Be thankful for it. And if you'd like to experience that, adopt a staff person and chum up with them and hang out with them until you can figure out whether you've got a little bit of a flow or not. And, 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 and respect it when it happens in the body of Christ because it's a good thing. It, it's what drew Timothy to Paul. Timothy, Tim, there's not any, I believe there's not a thing in the world that Paul could have asked Timothy to do that God helping him, he wouldn't have tried to do. Because he just loved the guy. He just loved him. Simon as a mentor. He said, I'll shine your shoes if you want me to. You want me to take a bad assignment? Uh, you, want, you, want me to, you want me to clean up the mess? You want me to plunge the toilet? I, okay. I'll, whatever, whatever you need, Paul, you just name it. Because God has appointed me to, to encourage you. And sometimes personalities get in the way. 
Sometimes jealousies get in the way. Sometimes stubborn and rebellious attitudes have a way of appearing. Sometimes pride and arrogance, and well, I studied that, and I don't think that was right, and then we talk about this, and I didn't get anything out of that, and somebody else says, well, that was a wonderful message, but I didn't get anything out of it. And you get all these things, and, and they creep in, and the enemy of our faith, he knows how to use those relational difficulties to discourage leaders. When we read the apostles' epistles that I was talking about, including this letter, we can see right off that it was Paul and often his close companions who spent the nights in jail. It wasn't the entire church. It was Paul and the other disciples or the ones close to him. They were the ones that got thrown in jail. It wasn't the whole church most of the time. It wasn't the church who spent the long nights in jail having to eat prison food. Have you ever tasted prison food out of the prison cafeteria? I have. Not because I was incarcerated, but I have eaten in the prison cafeterias many times. And sometimes it's okay. Most of the time it lacks some things. And, 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 and it wasn't the whole church that spent, that spent time in the prison uh, trying to find some salve and some ointment and some medicine to put on their, 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 their scars and their cuts from the beatings that they took. And, and, and it wasn't the rest of the church who had to sleep in a hard place and sometimes chained to a prison guard for the whole night, waking up with a stiff neck. You think you got a stiff neck now? You know, it wasn't the whole church that was having to do that most of the time. So Paul is teaching churches, be grateful for your leaders. Appreciate that their lives are often subjected to lonely and sometimes sleepless nights, sometimes in some of the most difficult places in the world. And we all know people who've been incarcerated overseas in terrible places because they have been spiritual leaders for the Lord, trying to obey Him. We will never have to apologize to God for taking good care of his leaders and the friends that he sends their way for comfort and support. The church should also be nice to the friends of the leaders. We have an obligation to do that. That doesn't mean any of us are perfect. It doesn't mean any of us don't have room for improvement. But we need to be kind and gracious to our leaders and the friends that God sends to encourage our leaders. So, if you've ever been tempted to be jealous of the people God sends to assist his servants, don't go there. Just don't go there. Don't let the devil fool you into getting off track and go there. It will take you to places that you won't like and that won't be good for you and you'll likely regret it. What you've seen demonstrated here today in the way the leadership of this church has responded to their ministry leaders in my mind, is an example of Philippian love and support. You have seen an example of how to do it right. And so we in the ministry team say to you, the body of Christ, thank you. Thank you. Do you receive it? Thank you. Then Paul calls he and Timothy bond servants. You see that in, on there? He, calls, he, he says, 
We are bond servants. Now, I spoke to that last time we were together, but I need to speak to it again because I saw some things that were really powerful. This terminology does not support slavery as we understand the vulgar, hideous way some people have treated their fellow man over the years. It does not support that. This term, bond slave, actually means the opposite of slavery. So here's point number two for your note-taking this morning. A bond servant is a former servant who has been set free and who has chosen to remain in a loving relationship with his former master. This is a person who's been set free and who chooses to continue with a beloved master. You see a picture of uh, the all, A-W-L, up there? So when the former slave is set free upon his own choosing, after the sixth year and the seventh year, they were to set the slave free. And so when the former slave is set free, and when that slave should choose of his own choosing, desires to continue in service to the master of the house because it is a loving relationship that has been established, then... He would take this, this servant, this former slave, to a door or a doorpost. And an awl, just like the one you saw there, would be used to pierce the ear as a sign that this person is now free and chooses to stay just like Timothy and Paul. Timothy, out of freedom, chose to serve Paul because of the loving relationship. And the hole in the ear, the piercing in the ear, was a sign that this slave has been set free and is choosing this family and this homeowner, this master. This is not slavery as we think of it. So let's be clear about the New Testament teaching on what it means to be a bond servant or a bond slave. It is a grace given and peace as the end result between the two parties. Grace given, you're free to go. And because there's peace and love between the two, they choose to remain in relationship. If we think about it some, we could make a case for the fact that every true believer in Christ today that's in this room, if you are a true believer, are you a true believer? Do you know that you're a true believer? Could you answer why? Do you understand how to how to explain that, that you know that, how do you know that you're a true believer? But every true believer that knows that they are a true believer could symbolically place his or her ear against the doorpost and have the lobe of their ear pierced as a sign of willing servitude to this master. Amen? I could stand an all through my earlobe. I could stand that this morning. And so could you. You know what I'm talking about. Now let me walk you through a quick exercise here. When the children of Israel were in Egyptian bondage, remember when they were, when they were uh, the Pharaoh would not let them go and we had all the plagues and all that. You know that story. We're not going to take time to read it. But when the children of Israel were in Egyptian bondage for so many years, the Lord heard their cries and he prepared to set them free. And one of the, one of the things that he used to set them free was he said, uh, all of you who are truly my servants and who love me, 
you go get an unblemished lamb. And on a particular night, you slay the lamb as a sacrifice. It's an unblemished lamb. It has no, no, no imperfections. And you slay it, and you take the blood from that lamb, because the Bible says the life is in the blood. If you don't have any blood, you don't have any life. So the life is in the blood. So the blood becomes symbolically very important about life. And he says, you take blood from that, that lamb, and you take a hyssop, that's a kind of like a, 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 a God-made brush that you can paint with, a hyssop uh, plant, and you take it and dip it in the blood, and you, you paint it, you apply it to the, the doorposts of each home where there is a true believer of God, a follower of God. Because God is going to send an angel. We know it to be called the death angel. Because the, 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 the people of, of Egypt were rebellious and they were stubborn and they would not listen to God in all of the plagues that he gave. And he said, so I'm going to require the firstborn of everyone that does not have blood applied to the doorpost. And so the death angel went in and very, very, very many, many people died as a result of that. But not the firstborn of those where the blood had been applied. It's a tremendous story. And when Moses was preparing Aaron and his sons to be priests and to lead the people spiritually, they were to do some very special things in a ritualistic cleansing. In fact, I want to read that for you. It's from Leviticus 8.22. Listen to this. Now, this is another piece. Then he presented the second ram, the ram of ordination. And Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram. And Moses slaughtered it and took some of its blood and put it on the lobe of Aaron's right ear and on the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot. Now, if you've never read that before, you're going, what? <laughs> Even if you've read it before, you're going, what? <laughs> what is it? What, what does this mean? He also had Aaron's sons come near and Moses put some of the blood on the lobe of their right ear and on the thumb of their right hand and on the big toe of their right foot. And Moses then sprinkled the rest of the blood around the altar. So you have an ear, you have a thumb, and you have a toe. Why the ear? Why the toe? Why the thumb? Why the blood? All right, I'm not going to answer that. Let's move on. When a person in the camp of Israel had leprosy, and they were cast outside of the city gates because nobody wanted to catch it. And so uh, after a while, the people that had leprosy were out there, and sometimes the people would, uh, would uh, overcome the leprosy, and, and, and they, they would defeat it, so to speak, with God's blessing and help, whatever. And so they would want to come back into the city and... and uh, and be able to resume their lives. And God said, no, you got to get checked out by the priest first. And so if that was the case, they would present themselves to the priest to be pronounced clean through a ritual blessing and cleansing. So I'm not going to take time to read you the whole passage, but just the one verse that kind of relates to this is Leviticus 14.6. Now this is about leprosy and uncleanness. As for the live bird, there was some sacrificing the bird. As for the live bird... He shall take it together with the cedar wood and the scarlet string and the hyssop and shall dip them and the live bird in the blood of the bird that was slain 
over the running water. Why a scarlet string? The scarlet's red. Represents the blood? Why the hyssop? Just like the hyssop that was used to dip in the blood to apply to the doorposts when they were in Egypt. Deuteronomy 15, 12. Listen to this. If your kinsman, a Hebrew man or a woman, is sold to you, then he shall serve you six years. But in the seventh year you shall set him free. And when you set him free, you shall not send him away empty-handed. You shall furnish him liberally from your flock and from your threshing floor and from your wine vat, and you shall give him as the Lord your God has blessed you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this day, it shall come about if he says to you, I will not go out from you, master, because he loves you and he loves your household since he fares well with you. Then you shall take an awl and pierce it through his ear into the door and he shall be your servant forever. Also, you shall do likewise to your maidservant. What is all of this business of nails being driven through the flesh? You mean like Jesus? What is all this business of blood on door frames? You mean like the cross Jesus hung on? What is all this business of permanent piercing with holes that leave scars forever? You mean like the hole in his side and the scars? On his body? You know, when Paul was dealing with one of the churches about law and circumcision, and some of we studied this, and some of you don't know what that's ta- what I'm talking about. You can go home and do some homework on it. But Paul was having to, to help them understand circumcision as a sign of what and what does it mean and all of that. And he wrote to the Galatian church about signs on his own body. Paul wrote to the Galatians and he said, I'm going to talk about signs that I have on my own body. I broke my hand one time. I've got scars here where they went in and repaired it. These are scars on my own body. Paul is saying to the Galatians, I've got, I've got symbols and signs in my own body of being a bondservant to Jesus. And so he said in Galatians 6.17, From now on, let no one cause trouble for me. I should have quoted that other times in my ministry in a lot of different churches. <laughs> From now on, don't let anybody cause me trouble in the church. But I meant that in jest. But he says, For I bear on my own, on my body, the brand marks of Jesus. This was the same experience the disciples had after Jesus appeared to them after the crucifixion. And they all got together and they're all sucking their thumb and saying, what are we going to do? Jesus is dead. He died. I didn't think that was ever going to happen. Now he's dead and he's gone. And boom, boom, boom. And John 20. So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, because they thought they got Jesus, now they're going to get us. Jesus came and stood in their midst and he said to them, peace be with you. And verse 20, and when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. 
And the disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Because the marks on the body of Jesus were the signs of his love and his grace upon them. His grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. To save these disciples, Jesus had to expend his very life. Until you experience the grace of Jesus and the sacrifice that he made on the cross for you and for your sins. Can I say this again? Because I'm almost finished here. don't, don't, Don't let your mind miss this, your spirit miss this. And this isn't so much for the saints, those who've been walking with Jesus and understand what I'm talking about here. Very, you know, it's just, you're, you're resonating with it. You say, yep, that's right. But this is for people that are maybe knocking on the door and you're saying, I don't know about church. I don't, I don't know about, well, he keeps talking about getting saved and talking about forgiveness of sins. I, I, don't, I don't get it all. I'm not sure what I think about it. Until you experience the grace What Jesus did for you because you were in a bad spot because of sin, until you and I experience the grace of Jesus' sacrificial act upon the cross for your sins, you will never know true and lasting peace. You will search for it. You will strive for it. You will drive places thinking you can find it. You will read stuff and think you can take it into your mind and your spirit. Uh, you, will, you will listen to uh, songs and, and people's ideas of, of where you can find peace. But until you actually experience the grace of Christ and what he did on the cross to set you free from something you could not fix yourself, you will never truly know lasting peace. And that is why Paul wrote in the Philippian letter these words. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because point number three, grace must be experienced before peace can be found. Grace first, peace second. Some people want to come into the church and they think they're going to find peace because they heard some beautiful songs, beautiful words, people were nice to them, helped them out with some stuff and whatever, so on and so forth. But they found out nothing ever changed. They still didn't have peace. Because, because grace, the touch of Jesus Christ and understanding how inferior and how, how, how empty we are before God because of our sin, Jesus has satisfied that with his blood on that doorpost. And the death angel, the judgment of God passes you. It passes you by if the blood has been applied to your life. That's the grace part. Grace is the act of a person to positively impact the life of another person in need who has no ability to, in and of themselves, to take care of that need. And that is why last night we gave out bags and bags of food that Pastor Jim and the team and staff have put together for people in this community who were in need. And last night, if they found their way to this campus, they got free hot dogs till we couldn't fix anymore. 
We did. We ran out of hot dogs. We ran out of popcorn. If you walk out this side of the church, you'll see evidence that something happened here last night. It's not everything just cleaned up lickety-split. We have to wait for a rain to come wash some of it away. They got free copies of portions of God's Word passed out and put in little kiddos' little bags for their candy. And when they went home, they had the Word of God. And there were people who came up to our prayer teams and said, I need a change in my life. Would you just pray for me that I could have a change in my life? And people got prayed for last night so that they could see just some little aroma of what the grace of Jesus Christ might look like for their lives. Many people think becoming a Christian is going to jail. <laughs> they do. They think somehow they're, they're being locked up and they can't, they can't really enjoy life. It, that's, it, that's slavery. You see, meeting Jesus Christ is true freedom. Amen? That's true freedom. And so now think about, I told you all of the things that I shared with you in these stories from the Old Testament and even from the New to say this. The thumb that was mentioned represents the hand. The hand represents deeds that we do for God. Last night, there were many deeds done for God last night at that event. The big toe was represented. It's on something called feet. And feet represent the kind of walk that we walk because we love Jesus and we are bond slaves of His. The ear that is pierced with the awe, the nail, so to speak, represents a listening attitude that says, I came in here this morning with a lot of different things on my mind, but once I got in the sanctuary of God, I started, I started stopping worrying about who won what ball games and about who's giving me a hard time at my work and about how I'm going to pay next month's water bill or whatever it may be. Because I'm a slave to Jesus and when I come into the house of God, my ear, my pierced ear, my, the all through my ear always inclines my ear to hear what the Spirit is saying to His children, to His slaves. The door that's painted with the blood of the Lamb that represents the cross that Jesus died on. It represents the pathway to salvation. And it's the pathway to opportunities. How many of us have not found opportunities since we met Jesus Christ? Doors that have been opened to us that we would not have imagined. One of our men was driving the hay wagons last night, giving kids hay rides. And when he got back on one of the runs, he came over, he told me, he said, Pastor, he said, somebody on one of the runs, they said they lost their diamond, diamond, uh, uh, their diamond in the hay wagon. And he's distraught. He's thinking, man, I, I don't want to pay for a diamond. It was his wagon. It was his hay. And they prayed. And one of the workers that was helping people get on and off got in there and scuffled around. And they prayed. And he found that diamond. <laughs> he said, you know what? God's grace is so good. It's so wonderful. He worked my problem out. You know, 
doors open, things just happen that you're surprised at, but because you've chosen Jesus. John 10 says this, I, Jesus says, I am the door. That's what Jesus says. I'm the door. If you're wondering about all this, you're not sure about your relationship with God and Jesus Christ, He's telling us right now, you need to listen to what I'm telling you. I am the door, Jesus says. Not Muhammad, not Buddha, not (laughs) any of these others. I am the door. That makes other people mad. And it it causes some people to want to throw us in jail sometimes. (laughs) But He said, this is the truth. I'm the door. If anyone enters through me, he'll be saved. And he will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And the blood, in all of these stories, from the blood on the doorpost, to the blood that comes from the earlobe being pierced, to the sacrifices over the cleansing of the lepers, all of that represents forgiveness and salvation. Hebrews 9.22, listen. And according to the law, one may almost say, all things are cleansed with blood, and without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So when we experience God's forgiveness, when we choose that door of opportunity and salvation, when, when, we, when we say, I, yeah, take my earlobe over there and pierce it because I want to be a slave in Jesus' family forever because He's nothing but love. He's done nothing but care for me. He's done nothing but make my life better. And I am not leaving this master's house for one second to try to make it on my own. I need this master. And I want to stay with this master if he'll have me. And he will have you if you will open your heart to him. And when we experience God's forgiveness through a personal relationship with Jesus we become the recipients in closing of tremendous blessings. What kind of blessings? I want to just share something that Gavin Ortland wrote, and I'll close with this quote. When you are lonely, but you're, but you're a, a slave of Jesus, when you're in His house, when you are lonely, you dwell upon the vast assembly of heaven and say, <laughs> that's my family. I feel lonely right now, but that's my family. When you are afflicted with grief, you anticipate the healing of heaven and you say to your heart, that's my consolation, heaven. When you're bored, you meditate on the glory of God in heaven and you say, that's my inheritance. I was getting bored there for a second, but wait a minute, I got a lot of good stuff to look forward to here. When you're under-motivated, you fix your heart on the crowns of heaven and say, that's my reward. When you're afraid, you soak your heart with the strength and stability of heaven and say, that's my home. That's where my name is written. When you desire to be famous, remember that your name is already written in heaven, the most prestigious place it could possibly be. When you feel eager for human approval, remember you will be the judge of angels, the Bible says. When you struggle with coveting money, Remember, you have a greater and unfading heavenly wealth waiting for you. When you want to be seen as important, remember that the God who made the heavens chose you in Christ from eternity past. And when you see a beautiful picture of some part of creation, which we do in Indiana most evenings, 
When you see a beautiful picture of some part of God's creation, remember, it is part of your inheritance on the new earth. What a beautiful picture from Philippians of what it means to be a bond servant of Jesus Christ. Now, my question is this. Many here have already made that decision. But what about you? Someone has invited you. You have been curious. You have knocked on the door. And hopefully a faithful servant of God has opened the word of truth and said, you don't have to leave this place the same as you came in. You can have a relationship with Jesus Christ that will will allow you to become the slave of Jesus who is going to take care of you like nobody's business. He will love you to the end and then give you heaven to boot. Would you stand with me? Would you, would you bow your heads for just a moment? And I just want to ask this question before we, I pray and we, we leave here. Don't, don't, don't disturb someone here. Don't cause someone to think that they have to get out of your way because you can't wait to get out of here. Will you let it be quiet for just a moment? Would you bow your heads and would you, would you just close out everything else? And I would just like to ask this question for some people here this morning. Would you like to have that kind of a relationship with God? Would you like to know that Jesus is your Savior? Would you be willing to let Him become Lord of your life, Master of your life? Would you like to receive Him into your life right now, today, this morning? And no one looking around, no one's going to bother you. Would you kindly before God, and so I can pray for you, just slip your hand up and put it back down. Say, I would like to do that this morning in my life. Slip your hand up. I'm waiting. Slip your hand up and say, I want that for my life today. God bless you. I see that hand. Are there others? Now, Heavenly Father, for this person, and there may have been some others that I didn't see, raise their hand, call out to you in a prayer like this. God, have mercy on my soul, a sinner. I need, I stand in need of forgiveness. I want peace in my life, like the pastor was talking. I need the touch of Jesus on my soul. And so I'm asking you, Jesus, everything that you did to buy my salvation on the cross that I deserved, I am thanking you for doing for me. And I reciprocate by inviting you to live in my heart today. Come in, Lord Jesus. Save me from my sins. Give me the peace that passes all understanding. And I will give you thanks and praise as you walk with me for the remainder of my life until you come for me. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Amen. Now, friend, if you made that your prayer, we'd love to hear about it so we can know how to pray for you. Everybody that's excited that someone received Jesus today, say amen. That's a beautiful thing. Thank you for your patience and for your love for the Word of God. Now, Father, I pray that as we go out, 
that we will go out with joy and gladness in our hearts, that we will put a smile on our faces that we really mean, that we will be gracious to one another, loving to one another, that we will not be jealous of one another, that we will be affirming of one another, and that we will be uplifting the church of Jesus Christ in every way that we know how. And we'll give you praise and glory as we follow the example of Paul and all God's people said together, amen.